Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Your office chair looks about just as fancy as ours raggedy it's like a can of kraut man we we found it we found literally all of ours in the gar- on somebody's garbage all I in one all, all in, in one, one grab too yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i listened to a couple of y'all's episodes the other day i thought you know i agreed to be on this thing i, I might need to check make sure what these guys are doing which ones you listen to uh it was one of the last ones uh it was about well, i can tell you because i got it on my phone yeah more than a map more than a map. What was that one about? That was the e scouting. That was when we had yeah we yeah had van that's, we had here. van in here yeah 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 yeah. Y'all, do y'all do Onyx? Y'all we do, do yes sir. Yes sir. Okay. Cool. Yeah, those boys are good. They're good friends of mine. Let me make sure I got all this on silent. All right. Now I didn't get any notes. Did y'all have anything in particular you want to talk about? Or y'all just want to jaw. We're pretty much just going to jaw. We just jaw. We want to hear some of your stories and uh, hear about your time in the outdoor industry and um, what you're doing now. And uh, you feel free to talk about law enforcement. I know you just said announced you're retiring from that after was that 37 years, 32 years seemed like 137. Yeah, 32 years and seven months or something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Close. That's right. See, right I just said 37 money. years and two months. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to work. Oh, but uh, no, I, we got a few things we've got to go over uh, real quick before we get in there because we've, we've got some small game hunts coming up um, starting in first week of December. That's right. Yep, that's Seminole Ranch. Seminole Ranch. One. It is. And that's uh that's gonna be a lot of wing shooting. You that was pretty good dove hunting wasn't bad out there last year. If you're lucky, you might find a duck flying over. Just make sure you're shooting steel, not lead when you do yeah. that. Or non toxic, I should say. But the snipe hunting was on fire. Yes, it was. And that's that place is uh it's almost all I, I wanna say it's Leased by the state of Florida, and a lot of it's cattle pasture, working cattle pasture. I think you're correct. With a, with some uh, oak hammocks and stuff out on the cattle pasture, and it's a really good time. 
cattle pasture lays just low enough to get some good water in it that time of year, them snipe love it. You ever been snipe hunting before, Brent? Not no, not in the uh, in the literal sense, not in the not in the hold the bag and the flashlight sense. Oh no, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have taken folks on snipe hunts. But, <laughs> but the actual the actual no. Uh timber doodles or woodcocks, I guess, whatever you want to call them. Um I believe woodcocks are a different bird. Yeah, I think so. I think so. They but, look uh, very similar though. No, but I have no, I've I've never been there. We don't have very many of them here. You know, not a whole lot that it's kind of rare to see them. Uh, but after that small game hunt in December, uh, beginning of December, then we go on our New Year's Eve trip going up to Ludowissi, Georgia. That's going to be a fun one. Up there in, I, for the life of me, can never remember the name of that wildlife mansion area. I was going to say, you know, we used to write this stuff down. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> what are y'all hunting up there? That is Townsend Wildlife Management Area. That is a little about an hour north of Kingston, hour and 15 minutes north of Kingston, Georgia, just across the Florida line uh, in Ludowissi, just outside Fort Stewart. Okay, what are y'all hunting up there? We are going to be hunting squirrels and ducks and just about everything else. When the river comes up in that area, um, the duck hunting's pretty good. If the river's high, as long as it's not too high, we can still drive trucks in there. Uh, But... After the duck shooting's done, it makes for some dang good squirrel hunting in that flooded timber. Yeah. They ain't got nowhere to go. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you got them hemmed up. Man, I've killed a sack full of squirrels duck hunting before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just get up in there in canoes and go up ever and float down and whack them as we're floating down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they taste the same. Oh, yeah. The only problem with that wildlife management area is if the Altamaha River gets about 14 feet over its banks, it does get pretty hairy getting in there. Yeah. You get a lot of the roads going in there flood two, two and a half feet deep. And I've got to, if it gets that bad, we're going to have to cancel the event. Um, Yeah. You can still easily get through there in a four-wheel drive, but I I know too many people that want to be there that uh, think that four-wheel drive and all-wheel drive are the same thing. Yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to do any vehicle recovery out of there, so I'd rather just play it safe. Um, but uh, I hunted up there quite a bit when I lived up in that area. I really enjoyed it. We shot a lot of wood ducks out of there, and we actually went up there last year and shot some wood ducks. And uh, AJ shot that real pretty Drake Ringer. Yeah, that was crazy, man. We were walking out, and that duck landed. I mean, we had decoys in hand, wading out, and that Drake landed probably what 10 feet in front of him yeah just landed right on the water like he wasn't even walking he give it up didn't he you know i i saw a funny little video today is a uh, phil robertson and he said uh he said that man he said that man asked me he said you're gonna shoot them poor little ducks swimming on the water he said absolutely not we wait till they stop swimming and then we shoot them that's right (laughs) (laughs) give him every sporting chance that's right oh but no, then we got our 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 favorite hunt of all after that. Yep, and that's at the end of January in Seminole State Forest, not Seminole Ranch. And in Seminole State Forest, you can hunt just about everything but deer during small game season. We've got pigs. We've you've got chance at pigs, ducks, squirrels, rabbits, rabbits, uh, dove. I can't remember if otter was in season at that time or not. You know, it used to be. 
Uh, but I don't think they let you shoot otter in there anymore. I have to look into that. I wish, because I'd love to have me an otter on the wall. But that spot has a nice little uh, spring-fed, tannic-stained creek runs through there, Blackwater Creek, and that's a beautiful area. Great spot for fishing in the summertime. Yeah, boy, you can catch some good brim in that creek. That's my son. Well, that's what my seven-year-old son thinks is his secret fishing spot. <laughs> uh, but he don't know that everybody knows it's there. We just don't hardly ever run into anybody there. He thinks oh, it's a good. secret because you got to call forestry and get the gate code to get in. Yeah. There. <laughs> oh, that's good. Got to have a password. Yeah. Yes, you do. Um, but that boy's a fishing machine. And but, he is. No, and that's about it. So uh, this week, I'm your host, Will. We got Jordan in here. I'm here. Let's get it. And we've got Mr. Brent Reeves. Hey, boys. Of the uh, This Country Life, Bear Grease. Just about anything Meat Eater, you've heard him. Yeah, you have been on the Big Meat Eater show too, haven't you? Yep, been on there a couple of times. It's um, it's a lot of fun, man. A lot of good folks work at this place. And I'm very, very blessed to be a very small part of it. So how did you get wrapped up with that crazy group of people? Man, I tell you, I don't know. I did something terrible in a former <laughs> life or... Or what? No, I'm very blessed to be here. I started out uh, filming Clay Newcomb um, when he was just started Bear Hunting Magazine. The year that he acquired Bear Hunting Magazine, he decided he wanted to start doing some video to to promote it and to promote the magazine. So he needed a cameraman, and we just got to be friends. I'd been filming in the outdoor industry for several years up at that point, and offered my services and I just enjoyed being with him and we, we made friends immediately and through the years man we uh we filmed some incredible hunts all over uh I guess the most famous one was one up in Saskatchewan uh you guys may have seen it's really what kind of put put us on the map um in the bear hunting world but we had a bear walk in and we was hunting out of a ground a, a made-up ground blind from sticks and limbs and we had a bear walk over and poke his head inside the blind where we were and the bear nose actually touched the tip of clay's arrow and then bear started to walk off and he just 12 rigged it and that that thing that video took off it was really well done and it was just a crazy encounter and there were bears all around us it was one of the most it was just an unbelievable hunt and we captured it all on video and it was, it did really well. And I think that caught a lot of folks attention about the stuff that we were putting out. That's awesome. Which I was just a small part of that. A lot of that was majority of it was clay and I was just there to help and do whatever I could. That's good stuff. So how long, how long ago was that? I remember seeing that video. That's been quite a few years since I've seen it. Yeah, man, I want to think that was probably, uh, it was nine years ago or better. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a while. Um, it may have been eight years, but we, uh, once we, we started and we just kept doing projects together. I kept doing projects and doing everything I could to help him help promote the magazine. And then when, um, media really took notice of him and decided to put him to work. You know, he, 
and he told me, he said, man, he said, they're going to start sending cameraman with me now. And he said, I don't, I won't have nothing for you to do. And I'm like, brother, drive on. You know, this is what we worked hard for you to do to be successful and you're successful. And he told me, he said, man, he said, one day, one day I'll be able to repay you. And, um, so three years go by and I'm, I'm not worried about me. He's my friend. It wouldn't be any different than you, you doing will you doing something for Jordan or Jordan, you doing something for will. I mean, you just do it because you know, you love your brother mm -hmm. and, and you work for him. And I was up there, we were recording a, a bear grease podcast. And after it was done, he said, you know, he said, they're taking, uh, they're going to take submissions in-house submissions from people that for ideas about podcasts, you ought to do one. I said, on what? I said, the only thing I know is living in the country and being the police. And I don't want to talk about being the police. <laughs> he said, well, what about living in the country? So that night, me, my wife, Alexis clay and his wife, Misty, we went out to eat at a restaurant in Fayetteville. And we had supper and he brought that up again. And we pretty well hammered that idea out for what the format of that would be while we were eating in Herman's Steakhouse in Fayetteville. And we left there, went back home, went back to Clay's house. We were staying there that night. And we filled out a, a sheet, a form that media had put out, you know, the idea of the show, what it would be about, who would host it, you know, just all the particulars. And just a, a rough format. And we turned it in and they said, okay, this is, we can see this might have some legs. Won't you do some, do some mock episodes. So I recorded four episodes of it and it was, uh, I think it was, it was, it was four of the first five that I did, I think. And, but they were totally different than, than what the final came out. I even did one where I was talking to a friend of mine buddy of mine, uh, David McDaniels that I coon up with, he lives in, out in, in Texas, but he's a friend of mine. So I thought, you know, maybe, you know, I'll be talking to him. Like, I mean, like a format, kind of like what y'all got, where you just kind of got banner back and forth, but I was going to be telling the stories or whatever. And, but it just didn't work. It didn't sound good. I mean, it didn't, I mean, it sounded fine. David did great, but it just, it wasn't what it is. A, a more monologue style podcast that, that it is right now. So I just kind of revamped it. We tweaked it just a little bit here and there and sent some submissions in and they, they really liked it. And apparently a lot of folks do. Sit tight. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel, from business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, 
and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or 843-324-1727 or email roman at romanvhamas.com. That's R-O-M-A-N at R-O-M-A-N-V-H-A-M-M-E-S dot com. Offices Florida and South Carolina. That's not that, starting with clay. That's not where you started in the outdoor. Getting kind of getting your foot in the door in the outdoor industry, though. No, uh, my my brother and I ran a uh, duck guide service for almost thirty years here in Arkansas, and we had a show. I cannot remember the name of it, but it was uh, like a, a regional show in South Carolina that con- contacted. Man, it was so convoluted how they finally got to me. <laughs> this guy knew was from Arkansas. He knew folks in Arkansas. He had a cousin that actually worked at the sheriff's office where I did. And this guy was a law enforcement officer in South Carolina. And he sent him a called him on the phone and says, Hey, I need somebody to take me duck hunting and we're gonna film a show. We wanna film a show. Do you know anybody? Well, I worked with this guy. He he was a jailer. And he hollered at me and said, Hey man, I got a cousin that's got a TV show that's looking for a place to film a duck hunt. Could you help him out? Sure. I guess so. He said, if it's your cousin, I'll help him out. So we got in contact with them. They came out and I got to be just really, really close, good friends with one of the cameramen. And I was more intrigued about filming than being in front of the camera and, and getting the shots and stuff and making everything look good. So that's what I was interested in. So I started, I got a camera and started filming and we filmed each other for, I don't know, several years. And we just never, I mean, you guys know it's, it's hard. I mean, this is a, this is a very small market, man. And people are making videos now as, as good as they can with a cell phone. And back then it was, you know, you had to have a cameras were they're expensive now, but the, to getting the jumping off point to getting into filming in the outdoor industry to have broadcast quality equipment was way beyond what it is now. Oh yeah, and, I'm sure. And people are using their phones for broadcast quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we were committed and we spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of money and it just never went anywhere. And but I just hung with it, you know, and I've I've just enjoyed doing it so much for so long and the reason the main reason i got into it really was to show my dad um my dad was not a a, a duck hunter and since we we're filming this duck hunt i thought this would be cool to show him what it's like because my dad squirrel hunted he's a you know houndsman squirrel uh, uh he loved to fish and all that stuff but duck hunting just wasn't his thing he never went a day in his life but i thought it'd be cool that i could show him what it looks like when you know, 150 mallards come through the top of the trees and lighten the decoys. So that's really the main reason that I got interested in it was so I could show, show him what it was like. And man, that's been a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
and here we are today. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of hard work, a lot of frustration. You know, you try. Uh, I've probably worked for three, four different concerns uh, that just, you know, went belly up into decoys because they couldn't make it. Because like I said, when I go, this this market is so small. This niche is so small. And to make a to make a living in it is kind of, you know, it's it's very obscure. You know, not a lot of folks get to do that. So after twenty something years of doing this, I guess I'm an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say we'd make a living doing it, but it's uh it's I, it's a labor of love and a lot of I gave it a long hard shot for about three six, months. eight months. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's probably six months, yeah. Uh, well, I you know, it's been it's just it's tough, man. It's tough. And my wife, she's been so supportive and she's uh we were just talking about it downstairs. I said, Look, I gotta I gotta go upstairs, I gotta do this podcast with these guys in uh, from Florida and she's like, you know, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you've been working all this time you know all this time and to get people on your show and now folks yeah. are on you on theirs and i said yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah it is. very supportive i couldn't do it without her that's i i, I feel that 100 percent. my wife i tell her like baby I, i'm gonna go out here i'm gonna go do this she just just does this <laughs> yeah go shakes her fingers at me <laughs> yeah. go just go go do your thing yeah right yeah Oh, about seven o'clock. I said, darling, I got to go set everything up out there. She said, I got to put the kids to bed. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and this, I mean, we started this three years ago, I guess coming yeah. up on four years ago now. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Started the podcast recording with a cell phone and then went from there to now converting half of my garage into a studio. Well, it looks great, man. And I tell you, I get that question a lot and I have gotten it over the years forever. I never knew how many people read the credits, but they, they read the credits and they say who the camera guy is and they contact him and like, I need to know what kind of camera that is. Where can I get me? What's the best thing for me? And man, I would, at first I would try to go through and make a detailed list of everything, but then I, you know, that is not the way to do it. You need to go out and buy the best camera that you can afford that's not a burden to your family and use that and get good at it and then go ahead i told a fellow the other day he said like he said man i got a real tight budget but i want to i want to video my dog uh tree and squirrels and i said well are you texting me on a cell phone he's like yes sir i said well buddy you got it right there just video it <laughs> Video it with your phone and just use, I mean, the only, really the only difference, a lot of them, the difference in, in my phone and that big camera, I was using to film that bear in Saskatchewan is the lens on it, yeah. the guts and everything. And there's pretty similar. So, but that's my advice to folks like that was just get what you can afford and be happy with it and go because man, I was, when I started filming and uh, I'm I'm an old guy now, but when I was started shooting, they had just switched over to many DV tapes, and they thought well, it'll never get better than this. And my gosh, my phone shoots ten times better than what that thing would shoot. Yeah, and you can send it in a text message. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Oh man. Yeah. You know, you you gotta get up um uh, and hunt Facebook marketplace religiously like it's the classified of the daily newspaper anymore. You yeah. can find all kinds of crap on I'm there. I'm telling you, that's about the first thing I search in the mornings marketplace because you can find boats, trucks, refrigerators. <laughs> I mean, if you hunt it hard enough, you can find a deal on anything on marketplace. The thing is, oh, though, yeah. when you find a deal, you got to get it and you got to get it like that or it's yeah. gone. Best be taken. Well, that's how I got my coon dog. Facebook marketplace. Marketplace. I was looking for a coon dog for six months, and I had talked to man. I mean, I know a bunch of folks with coon dog, but I had been out of the game for years, and I was just searching, searching coon dogs here just every night. I mean, and I'm literally for six months I did not look at a dog, but I'd call somebody about one, and I'd hear the sales pitch. Man, this is the greatest dog in the world. I'm like, well, why would you want to sell him? You know, so there's <laughs> there's something there, something there that they ain't telling me. So <laughs> I just kept looking and kept looking and kept looking. And I, I don't know how many people I talked to, but I never went and looked at one dog because it, it just never struck. And then one morning I picked up my phone. No, it was one evening. I picked up my phone and Facebook Marketplace. And there, this picture of this six-month-old tree and walker coonhound. Barking at a cage coon, which is not impressive because I mean a chihuahua will bark at a coon yeah, in a cage. Right. That, that don't mean that don't mean nothing. But the hound looked pretty. He looked good, man. And I don't know what I was looking for. I knew I was looking for a walker dog, but I just I started messaging this person and it turned out it was a it was a lady and she lived about forty five on the address was about forty five minutes away from me. So I said, well, I want to come look at that dog in the morning. And she said, okay. I said, I can be there in 45 minutes. And she said, well, the address on there is wrong. And she told me where she lived, and it was three hours away. Oh. And I said, well, I done told you I'd come look, so I'll come look at it. And so I drove down there. And, boys, this was two days before the pandemic started. Oh. So I drive all the way down there and I drove up and these folks were having some hard times. They selling the dog, I guess probably cause they thought the next step they was going to do is have to eat him because they wasn't, they wasn't doing well. And just young folks married, you know, and scrappy trying to scrap out a living. And, um, so I looked at the dog and, and when I drove up there, he they had him in a little old bitty pen, man. It was like 10 feet by 10 feet. And it was probably three inches of mud and water and, and, poop in the bottom of his cage and he was sitting up on top of a, a housing for an air conditioner, a window air conditioning unit. And so I thought, dang, you know, at least I can do is buy him and get him out of there. You know, I'll get my money back on him somewhere else if he ain't any good. And so I thought, and the, the guy that had him for sale wasn't there. So I talked to his wife and she said, um, now you brought the money with you, didn't you? I said, well, I got to look at him first. and uh, But yes, ma'am, I did. She said, all right. Well, I hate to sell him because he's my baby. And I knew then that girl, was they need the money. So I thought in my head, well, I, I'm going to give her the money and just get the dog and then whatever happens will happen. And so I gave her $50 more than what she asked for and got her the and got the dog and I got him on the lead and I was walking him around and walking him to the back of the truck. And I said, do y'all, have y'all gave him a name yet? She said, yo, yeah. 
His name is Waylon. I said, Waylon? She said, yeah, there was some country singer or something named that. And I said, okay, thank you. That's all I need to know. <laughs> Waylon Jennings was, was, has been my favorite forever. And when that woman said that, I thought I was supposed to drive three hours to come get this dog right here. And it has turned, he's turned into an absolute member of this family. He, uh, my wife and little girl, they love him more than me. And if he had thumbs and had a job and income, uh, they'd probably kick me out of the house. <laughs> but he's been really good, man. And it all come from that dang Facebook marketplace. Now, <clears throat> tell me, I, I'm not a coon hunter. I would love to go and uh, j- just for the experience. Um, I remember growing up as a kid listening to it on the radio in southwest Georgia. They used to have mm-hmm. a radio show every Saturday night where people would call in when they was out running running coons. Oh, really? Yeah, and you could listen to the dogs run on the radio. Well, was it That's Saturday what I'm night talking about, hunt, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it's the yeah. Saturday night coon hunt. So my dad would always turn that on. And then, you know, at the hunting camp, we never had. When when did we get a TV? The first TV we had was definitely a black and white TV. We never but did watch it. Though. We never watched it, but we had. He had an old uh, boombox radio sitting outside on top of a piece of plywood and we just listen to the radio outside all the time, build a fire. But every Saturday night you get the coon hunting on T on the radio and, and listen to the dogs run. And I used to love that. And it made me always want to go, but it's not nearly as popular, especially in Florida, uh, coon hunting. But I've noticed over the years, I've seen people with blue ticks and this may be a very controversial topic. I have a blue tick. But I've noticed that blue ticks are either very aggressive in what they do, or you have the one like I have who's scared of his own tail. <laughs> yeah. No, it's man, you know, it's just like it's like they make Fords and Chevrolets. Folks like different things. Um uh, Tree and Walkers are are the most popular uh because they have I don't know you you can start world war four right here <laughs> when i say because they're better than any other dog that's just my opinion yeah i like them they suit me better you know they suit me better um now you look up the world championships how many world championships and what they are it's tree and walker by a long margin ahead of everything else but it's like labradors you know there's all kinds of retrievers but mostly everybody hunts labradors and how that dog, how that dead duck gets from the decoys back to you really is don't make no difference as long as he gets back. As long as it, the dog goes and gets it, brings it back. But the Labrador is the most popular, you know, dog that he used that with. And that's, that's the way it is with tree and walkers. So, but yeah, you man, folks get defensive about that. They'll <laughs> yeah. scratch out a little ground to plant tomatoes in if you ain't careful you know i I say i I say that i I really feel like saying that one one hunting dog versus another is better and you equate the the wins over that but that all really i mean it's it's uh popularity how many of the of certain breeds you have in the field i mean you could look at how many Toyotas have won the Daytona 500? Not nearly as many as Chevy and Ford, but Toyota didn't make stock cars until just a few years ago. Sure. So, you know, but, and if the, the tree and walkers are much more popular dog, well, obviously, of course it should be winning by a mile because more people are running the tree and walker right. versus anybody, anything else. Same with labs versus 
boykins or whatever other dog you want to try and retrieve ducks with. Mm-hmm. But it's popularity thing more than anything, I do believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you just got to, you just go with what you like. You know, I mean, I got a buddy that's a dyed in the wool tree and walker band. But if, if he come across a red bone that he could, that would do what he wanted to, he'd trade every tree and walker in the world for him. So, but he's kind of touched. So, (laughs) but it's all of what you like. And this dog just suits me. Now, uh, how did you get into coon hunting? Oh, I grew up doing it. It was, um, it was more of a anomaly if you didn't coon hunt when I grew up. I grew up on a farm and we had tree and, and tree and dogs were our thing, man. And, uh, my dad was a well, very well known, uh, guy for squirrel dogs and, uh, he just liked good tree dogs. Now he didn't coon hunt a whole lot, but he helped me with coon dogs and I loved it. And so it's just all my buddies did it. So I did it growing up. The only time I hadn't could, didn't coon hunt was during my, probably the two thirds of the middle of my law enforcement career that when I just didn't have time to, to do it, I still go with my buddies, but I just, I didn't have time to care for a dog or train one and all that. Cause I was on the go a lot. Now you get down here in the deep south where we're at and running deer with dogs is a big thing. Yeah, that used to be big here too. Yeah. And I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed a good deer race because it was, man, you're sitting on a stand and you hear them dogs, you just barely hear them. And they get a little louder and a little louder. Man, you start getting all amped up. And next thing you know, you're running your shotgun to the plug and, and you ain't hit nothing because that deer come through doing 900 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> But it's fun, it's fun, man. I, I tell you, we uh, my dad got started hunting that way, and when I was real little, I would go with him, and he had dogs when I was four or five years old. Uh, well, till about you were just before you were born. No, he still had just four, just after. Because I remember being yeah, the, like the catch. <clears throat> no, he didn't have his own dogs. Oh, 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 oh. He had dogs till just before you were born. Okay. Um. We're brothers, by the way. Well, I just figured that out a while ago. I said, uh, just like if y'all were brothers, by gosh, you are brothers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I'd go with him, and then it just kind of got to the point. He got rid of those dogs, and he got more into the stand hunting, um, deer hunting. So that's really what I grew up doing mostly. Um, but go with him a couple times. I was a little kid that I can remember. I was old enough to remember. I wasn't in a car seat at that time. I was probably about my son's age, maybe eight or nine. And, uh, I had a blast doing it then. And then I had buddies in high school who grew up doing that. That's the only way, pretty much the only way they hunted. So I would go with them when I wasn't going to where we hunted in Georgia, just so I could go hunt for the weekend. Yeah. And that's a, it's a dang blast, man. Mm-hmm. But then in my adult life, I had a deer lease in Southeast Georgia that, um, we were surrounded on three sides by a dog hunting club. And that was the most entertainment I ever got out of sitting in a tree stand. Cause I'd turn my walkie talkie on to tune into their frequency and I'd listen to them banner back and forth and argue with each other and make fun of one guy there the whole time. I mean, the deer stand, I'm just like, it's a comedy show sure. and you're getting, getting to hear the dogs run. Well, it's a, that is a team sport, man. When you're running dogs, mm-hmm. cause everybody's working together, you know, and if you're, if me and me and you and, 
and Jordan is, is we're camped and we're bow hunting, you know, it's every man for itself, you know? Right. But, uh, when, when it's team like that, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah. I miss those it's, days. And this very, there's not many places you can run deer in with dogs in Arkansas anymore. We, our camp used to have dogs, but, uh, beagles. I remember a time that we were, I was sitting on stand and my brother's brother-in-law, uh, but we were all just like brothers. Anyway, Joe was running the, he had, he had some beagles and it was so funny. They had logged in this place two or three years before when we were in there and it's a big old in the winter time. So there was some huge, deep skitter ruts in there and <laughs> those, those beagles struck and they started coming to me and then it sounded like they was going away and then it sounded like they was coming to me again. I thought it's like they were zigzagging, but it sounded like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and I got to looking out through the woods and I could see them when I could hear them good. They were on top of the ground and then they hit one of them big skitter ruts and dang near go out of here. And <laughs> so they were just like porpoises out there going up and down. So it, it tickled me, but, oh, oh man. So we're actually, uh, and fortunate enough to live. Well, William, you're probably my house ain't, but five minutes from 66,000 acres of public land, the Ocala National Forest. Oh, nice. So that's them boys run dogs like no tomorrow out there. And they run deer dogs there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. I was actually listening to one of your, uh, it was a while back I was listening to your This Country Life. You were talking about watermelons. You said Leesburg, Florida. I was like, hey. that's Is that it? We're right. That's Well, it's in Lake County. Okay. And we live in Lake County, so... <laughs> I talked to some folks in Florida that coon hunt and they say it's a struggle down there because of, uh, land to hunt on. It's just mm -hmm. everything. Grandma and grandpa die young and sell off the, off the, the big farm. And then it turns into houses. Yeah. Houses and subdivisions and stuff like that. Is that everything here is, is getting turned into houses We're we're in the final crop stage where the, you know, they say the last crop is always rooftops. Yeah, yeah, for real. I've never yeah, heard that. Everybody's, I like that, or I don't like it. Every that no, I I don't like it either. But there there's a lot of push in the in the state of Florida to start trying to lock up. Uh, uh, so you, you got grandpa's getting up in age, and he's going to eventually pass and hand that probably hand that you know family property that could have been in the family for generations mm -hmm. to off to somebody who could care less about having it. Uh, and there's organizations working in the state of Florida to get that that a lot of that land uh, locked up in conservation easement. And not only, you know, not particularly in some cases that the, they didn't care about having, they couldn't afford it. They couldn't, they can't stay there right. in that area, and make a living. You know, that, I would mm -hmm. see, I see that happening here. You know, I couldn't stay where I'm from and make a living uh, doing what I do. I had to go, I had to move off and do it. Uh, I could have done something different, but it, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was my choice, but I couldn't stay there, you know, and a lot of folks, a lot of folks can't either. So it's a sign of the times, I guess, but you can, you can, you drive by here, me and my brother will be going somewhere and we'll drive by a place that, that we've squirrel hunted forever, you know, or some place that just some, some place that we were familiar with driving by for so long and you go by there and the next thing you know, it's been cut and you think, well, grandma died and you know the youngins got it and all those trees are gone and that's 
99% of the time, that's just exactly what happened. Somebody cashed it in. Yeah, we, we talk about <clears throat> there's some woods we used to go wander around on four-wheelers and then uh, hated to see it get turned into a housing development. But my uh, my wife, uh, her family moved into a house there, so I guess it worked out in the end. But uh, <laughs> And I ended up learning to drive on those streets where they put houses in that, in that <laughs> area. But uh, you just watch it all disappear after time, and it's yeah. it's sad. I, I hate to see it go. Uh, but I don't know what we're gonna what if if much we can other than we can do to keep except for keep blocking it all up in conservation easements. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows, man? Who knows where it's gonna be? I never thought that uh, you know outdoor sports would be like they are right now on such a high plateau of uh, media. You know, in my life, I never would have dreamed that because. Back, I thought, man, if you got a hunting tape in a video store, you have got it made. You have reached the end of it. There is no higher place to go than that. And good gosh, I don't even think people put out DVDs anymore. I'm not even sure they make DVDs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably don't. I asked my wife the other day. We had we had some. My brother's got some. Had some uh, videotapes that we sent to a company. Had them put on made digital. And I asked her, I said, Do I, should I have uh, old home movies and stuff? I said, should I have some of these put on DVDs to watch? She said, we ain't got a DVD player in this house. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I guess that's a no. <laughs> I, I remember I had, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day talking about video games. And I said, man, I, I never played video games. We went outside and shot lizards with... Red Riders and shot squirrels in the yard and dug holes. And I said, I played so little video games that uh, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. Uh, I sold the most discount cards for the football team. Yeah. And they gave me an Xbox 360. And then after I had graduated high school, I was gone off somewhere. And uh, I got a call from my mom and she said, where's the DVD player? And I said, shoot i don't i didn't think we had one at the house i ain't got no idea and she said that the your your game console that you got i said oh <laughs> yeah. take now the box said, yeah. yeah i said i i gave that i i gave that to somebody else like months ago <laughs> it was it was being used as a dvd player is what it got used most <laughs> as in the, in the living room that's funny yeah man no i was a i love being outside that was that was my thing because if I was inside, my mama could catch me doing something. She'd have me doing something. But if she couldn't see me, I was gone. That's yeah. you know, it's like today. My wife says to me, she says, "Why do we have a seven-year-old who's outside building a fire right now?" I said, "Because I'd rather him outside, be outside building, learning how to build a good fire, than in here playing Roblox or whatever video game yeah. they got now." She says, "Me too." I said, "That's why he's out there building fire." That's good. <laughs> And he had a good one. He had a real good one going. I bet it's still good and hot right now. <laughs> he started with his flint thing? No, he he used a lighter today. He did start one with his ferro rod the other day, though, on Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Yeah. How long did he's probably there for hours doing it? No, he it took him about twenty minutes. Dang. He's gotten good at using that ferro rod to get a fire going. 
He knows where he needs to go to get his tender. He bundles up all of his twigs and then his sticks and then gets that going and puts some little bit bigger logs. He knows what he's doing. That's good. Yeah. I told her, I told her, I said, you know what? But if he ever gets lost in the woods, you can guarantee he's not going to be cold. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He may start a forest fire, but <laughs> the he's not going to be cold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's been hunting with me since, uh, see, a, a memory just popped up on Facebook a couple weeks ago. He was two was when I first started really carrying him around with me a whole bunch in the woods. And now he's seven this year going on eight. So here in the beginning of November, we have a lease in Alabama and they've got youth rifle season. So he's going to get to try his hand at it. There you go. That's awesome. We've been working hard getting that together. He told me, uh, last, last year, last summer or summer before this last summer, uh, we're coming back from vacation Bible school. And he says, dad, this is June, mind you. Dad, I know what I want for Christmas. I said, what's that, bud? He said, I want a gun that can kill squirrels. I said, okay. I said, well, I said, uh, I don't know what your mom's going to let me buy that for you. I said, uh, but I'll ask her. She, he says, that's all right. I'll just ask Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a grandson that's, uh, let's see, that clown is four, I think, or five. I don't know. He's just tall. He's my buddy though, but that's why if he wants something, that's all he's got to do is ask Papa. Papa will get it for him. We got <laughs> we got him a little single shot four ten and oh, you thought he was unstoppable. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh yeah. He's a squirrel hunting machine with that thing. Now y'all have a lot of y'all have any cat squirrel or gray squirrels down there or mostly uh, fox squirrels? Oh, no, we don't have barely, you can't shoot fox squirrels in Florida, but we got gray squirrels out the yin-yang. I just saw a fox squirrel the other day right down here, right down the road here. It's the first one I've seen in Florida in quite a while. Oh, you can't shoot them? Can't shoot fox squirrels. You can shoot gray squirrels all you want. There's plenty of those. In fact, they just uh, proposed a regulation change to make gray squirrel season year-round on private land. Oh, is that right? Oh, dang. Rabbit season is already year-round on private land down here. I like I like so, a good rabbit. You you can get into plenty of dang rabbits down here if you're in the right spot. <laughs> yeah, um, rabbits and squirrels they're they're easy to come by. We had a guy last year that uh, when you get back I need to find him again had proposed us he had a bunch of rabbit beagles and wanted us to come run rabbits with him with his beagles and we sh- there were several opportunities, but either something happened with him either time or something happened with us. I didn't get back with him. I'd Couldn't love line to go run some yeah. rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. That is fun, man. My buddy, Michael Roseman and I, he makes uh, sunspot lights, coon hunting lights. And that's who I coon hunt with. And, but he's got some beagles, some rabbit dogs too. And man, good gosh, it's so much fun. I mean, it's, it's wild. And it sounds like they're tearing the woods up. And of course they're going about <laughs> two miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know just from one spot to another but yeah it's a lot of fun oh man that's something i definitely i love hunting with dogs period well yeah. i i love hunting with dogs you know chasing game mm-hmm. i like hunting with you know hunting ducks with a dog too but you almost got to be careful doing that down here there's some spots where you just if you want to keep your dog you don't run your dog oh yeah gators yes yeah. yeah, oh. sir yeah i just <laughs> saw that Outdoor Life posted an article where some boys, I guess, was hunting on the coast and duck hunting on the coast and lost a Labrador to a shark. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
That's something you don't think about. No, for sure. That's a rough one. Man. I'd have to try and find that article. That's, man. That's rough. Yeah. Like, I feel like I could see the gator coming most of the time, and we know where we can and probably shouldn't run dogs. Uh, We've got a spot right down from the house. You wouldn't catch. I'm not getting in the water. Oh, I mean, you, you can really? you can kill a limit. You kill a limit of birds, even if you did. You ain't taking a limit home. Really? Oh, they come. The tax it. man's gonna come get you. <laughs> it's it used to be old muck farm, and then uh, the state got a hold of it, or the water management district got a hold of it, and dredged it all out into like impoundments. Impoundments, yeah. And you can't gator hunt in there. Nor can you gator hunt on the lake that's attached to it. Mm. So they just populate and populate and eat ducks all season long. Yeah. There you go. This got to do with the chemical phosphorus and the mercury and all that from all the fertilizer and stuff in there. But good Lord. That was a few years ago. They had one, uh, an article popped up about a, 13 plus footer that was stealing ducks. You could see him out there in a video. Somebody got a good video of him coming all the way out of the water, stealing somebody's ducks. They'll steal your decoys. They'll steal your dead ducks. Mm, If it's not the gators, it's the eagles. (laughs) Yeah. But we still have plenty of places where you could definitely run a dog with and be pretty safe doing so. That's something to think about. Yeah. Oh man. So, Tell, tell me a little bit about, I, you've got, uh, you're, you're quite famous enough around there. You got some boat ramps named after you, your family name. and That was named, yeah, my dad. Um, where I grew up in Cleveland County, Arkansas, there was a section of the river on the Saline River that was our jumping off spot for fishing and hunting and doing whatever. And there was a boat ramp down there. And it was in the community of, there was a church up the road and the the correct pronunciation would be Mount Elba uh, from the Bible. Uh, Everybody around, you know, we're from Arkansas, so we ain't going to call it that. We call it Mount Elby. And the Mount Elby boat ramp was where, was a dirt ramp where we would go and put the boat in the saline river and go ramp fishing. My dad was, during the summertime, when it was too hot to run dogs, that's what we did was we fished every day. He worked for a company that eventually became Tyson. Uh, he was a field service man that would go to the folks' chicken farms, check on the chickens, check the feed, make sure they was growing the chickens like they were supposed to under the contract. And he had he had an area that he worked, and they provided him a truck and a and a trailer hitch. And they should never have done that because he took that as an <laughs> excuse to pull a horse trailer and a boat with. <laughs> but if uh if he got his job done if it took him five days to do it fine but if it took him two days three days to do it even better they didn't care they just needed all these farms done well when the fish was biting monday and tuesday was a whirlwind he's like the tasmanian devil working and i would ride and we just go farm to farm to farm doing everything we're supposed to do then by wednesday we was done and all we did was fish until Monday started over again. We ate fish every day. So a lot of that, a lot of those adventures, a lot of the, that, those times with my family, even 
even before my dad, when my great grandfather and my family settled that part of Arkansas, I've got a a niece that is that has track or trace the family back to like nine generations uh, there of Reeves there in in Arkansas in that part of Arkansas. So it was it would be back to you know eight Arkansas became a state in eighteen thirty six. And that's about the time them folks hit there. So a little before that. So anyway, it's just been a long legacy of my family in that area. And after my dad passed away, I couldn't, th- I couldn't think of a better way to honor him than the game of fish tonight, that boat ramp after him. And I wrote a letter and describing our family's connection and relation with it. And man, they, it was a unanimous vote. They named it after him. There's a sign there. And, uh, so Man, I'm very, very proud of that. I know he would be too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. The Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in a hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. Jordan was was telling me a story earlier. Yeah, I was saying, uh, like I told you, I messaged you earlier this week and told you I'd been re-listening on the way here. Uh, I forgot which one I was listening. It was a swimming holes episode. Yeah. Where you talked about how you had punched your dad in the belly. (laughs) And when you said that his arms went straight up like a dead cockroach, I was about to make a turn across traffic. I had to stop dang near putting my truck in park and just, I mean, belly busting laugh. People had to be looking at me like, what on earth is he doing? Oh my gosh, my daddy. I don't know why he didn't kill me, but <laughs> I can remember seeing him laying in, in that bed right now in them yellow boxers, no shirt on. His arms is brown, browner than mine right now. And his belly was white as the bottom of a catfish. Cause he, he didn't, he didn't run around without no shirt on. And I'm, I'll show y'all now the folks at home can't see, but he, here he is right here. That's my dad. Yeah. You look, look just like, just him. like him. <laughs> and, and he was sitting there laying there in that bed and he was sleeping so good. And man, I wanted to go <laughs> swimming. He told me to take me swimming. And, but after we took this nap, after we rest, he said, let's rest a little bit. Well, rest. That's, that's code for a nap. So I know it's going to be an hour. You know, that's what is going on in my mind. Eventually that river's going to run dry and I don't want to be up here when it happens. <laughs> and I, that's when I just looked at my, I was looking at my fist like it was the first time I had seen it. And I looked over at him. And I thought, I believe I can stick it that far in his belly if I hit him hard enough. And good Lord, let me do it. And I don't know who was learning the lesson, if it was me or dad learning the lesson that I couldn't be trusted, but <laughs> as hard as I could, I hit him. I tried to touch his backbone, but I didn't make it there, but his eyeballs bugged out on stems and I don't know why he didn't. I just knew when I'd done it, as soon as I touched him, I thought, boy, this is a bad mistake. I have made a bad mistake. And of all the stories I've told, 
when I meet people, a lot of them, I just had a fellow the other day say something about that, that I met. He said, that was the craziest thing to hit your daddy like that. And I'm like, man, I am not proud of it by any means, <laughs> but I was the idiot that did it for sure. Yeah. Funny thing is, man, that I love, I love this country life. Cause like all these stories you tell it, it brings me back to times in my life where I remember doing the same stuff like chasing squirrels or, you know, in between hunts at the hunting camp or something. My dad wanted to take a nap and that was just <laughs> like the end of the world oh. for me. Cause I wanted, I wanted to go ride the four wheeler or go. something. Yeah. Like, yeah. We didn't come down here to nap. We can sleep when you're dead. Yeah. I got to go. <laughs> we had, we had uh man, I don't even know where he had got it, but William had it first. Was it a 50 cc four wheeler? He got, I think he got it from somebody he worked with, but yes. Yeah. And it didn't have <clears throat> any front plastics on it. Uh, and it had, that engine had probably been worked on, <laughs> I don't know, I more times him, than a listen, surgical test dummy. I watched him, <laughs> I watched him, uh, I watched him braze the frame back together with an acetylene torch and a coat hanger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what, the only thing that was on the front of that four-wheeler was a milk crate that was zip-tied to it. Yeah. It hauled all your valuables That thing, in. yeah. You're right. That thing was our piece of freedom. I mean. <laughs> oh, man. How that thing ever survived what we put it to. Oh, man. No That's idea. good stuff. But it's a lot of folks just like you, man. I get, I get a lot of, um, I, I get a lot of messages from people and it's hard. It's hard. I answer every one of them I get and until it starts taking away from my family. But some folks, I may be a week behind on some of them, but I eventually answer all of them. But I get a lot of messages from folks that just like what you said, that, you know, it reminds them of a time and it reminds them of a, a place or, a, you know, anything. And, and all these old stories, man, it's, it's no different than anybody that I grew up with. I mean, it's no different than what you guys probably grew up with. It, um, a lot of folks didn't, and it. I had to go. I was in basic training in service for. I ever figured out, you know, everybody didn't grow up like I did, and a lot of folks find a lot of. They're intrigued by it, you know, and they they. They were just as astonished that I grew up this way as I was that they didn't. And I've always thought, and my son who's. 25 and gets married in middle of postseason has told me a hundred times. He says, dad, I feel cheated. I didn't get to grow up like you did. And he didn't, there'd have been no way he could have grown up like I did. Cause I was just feral more or less. They just cut me loose. And, but I couldn't make a living down there and where we lived, you know, he, I couldn't cut him loose. He couldn't do that. Not in this day and time. So he, he did get gypped, but if it was going to be me or him. I'm glad it was him. Cause I had a lot of fun. <laughs> you know what's funny you you brought up you, you got to basic training you realized you know you had that realization that not everybody grew up that way it when i i joined the army and that was the first time i ever met somebody who couldn't swim yeah and i'm like i, I still refuse to this day to believe you are an adult and you physically cannot swim <laughs> understand you may not be a strong swimmer but to say, like, you've watched enough TV, you understand the mechanics of how to swim. Yeah. But I, at that I, point, you're just too afraid to try. The yeah. best part about it was when I found out my buddy couldn't swim, he was in a kayak 
on the Swanee River trip. No, 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 no. This is a different guy. He was in a kayak right in the middle of the lake, and we're fishing. And uh, he he lost a lure on a log. I said, "Well, just hop in and get it." He said, I, 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 "I'm no, I'm not, I'm not." I was like, "Why not? This right there, I can see it. it's only three feet under the water." He said, "Wow, I can't swim." I'm like, what do you mean you can't swim? You're here in a kayak in the middle of the lake. You can't swim? No, I, 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 I can't swim. I said, boy, I said, you put your life jacket on because I can't swim good enough for the both of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, it's just, you just take that kind of stuff for granted, you know. And I remember my first swimming lesson. We was just down the road from my, from our house and the creek was up. It was in the springtime. Now I take you down there to that creek right now and you can stand in the bottom of it and it's, maybe up to your waist at the highway where the, where the, I mean, where the road is, where that little bridge was at, at the time I was six or seven. It looked like the Atlantic ocean as far as I knew. (laughs) And I said, dad, I sure would like to go swimming. And I didn't get swimming out of my mouth. And he put his foot on my behind and kicked me out in it. Now I didn't have any choice, but to swim or that, or go to the Gulf of Mexico. And when I come dog paddling up on the other side, he said, do you want to go again? I'm like, no, sir, I'm good. I'm good right now. <laughs> Swimming 101. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he taught me how to swim. And and by gosh, we are too, I've had all my kids in, in swim lessons. And it's important, man. That stuff's important, especially to where you guys, I mean, you guys are around so Everywhere much you water. turn, there's another lake. Yeah. 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 yeah you got, you got to. But uh, that's uh, that's one of those things I definitely took for granted the, the amount of water we have here. You know, I lived in Kentucky for uh, five years, and there was plenty of water there. I mean, you had you know it's right between right by land between the lakes. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley, um, but not like here. If I go two miles in any direction, there's a large body of water. Yeah, yeah. What your buddy Matt was down here a while back. And it's, I think we had gone to go scouting for turkeys, what we were doing. And he said, son, there sure is a, I mean, just a ton of, he said, whether it be ponds or lakes, he said, there's a ton of lakes around here. I said, well, you're in Lake County. You know, we had some boys that'll come <laughs> down. Uh, yeah. We got some guys that'll come down here and hunt competition coon hunts. Now I don't, I don't competition coon hunt, but I got a lot of friends that do. But they'll have a hunt down here, and boys from up north will come down here and get in the swamps. And those dogs, man, it's like throwing them a big curveball. They're like, what in the world is going on? While these dogs down here will just hit the water and just keep going. And they're wondering, you know, what is this? They and It's whatever you're acclimated to. But it, right. it can be a be a big difference in, in what's going on as far as, as far as dog hunting does anyway. You get them guys getting the thing that the dogs, a, a deer down here hits the lake and the dogs are right after it. Yeah. They don't even check up, do they? No. They swim right across the lake after yeah. it. <laughs> then somebody's got to go get an airboat or a boat and start yeah. wrangling dogs out of the lake. Well, yeah. I'm going to tell you, here's how I cured that. I got a handle on my dog. It's a remote control. And I can call, I called him across a quarter of a mile lake. Or it was all, it was a quarter mile from where he was at, from where we were to him. But he had to swim across 200 yards of lake, 183 yards of lake. And I could see him on there, but there wasn't no way for us to get to him. 
and he was just on the other side. And we even shined the light up there and could see the coon in the tree. And I told Michael, I said, man, this is my favorite part of this dog right here. And I call, called him and whistled at him, and that joker hit the water and come straight to us. And I had a buddy. I got a buddy, Rex Whiting, that I hunt with, and he helped me train some on, on whaling. He's an old competition coon hunter. First time we were hunting together, his dog, his dog had treated across a big slough. And this was, dog was 95, 100 yards away, just treeing, blowing it out. And he said, watch this. This is worth $2,000. He said, Shadow. I called him. Shadow come off of that tree and come straight to him. And he said, this is how I keep my feet dry. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, man, having a handle on dog, that is, to me, that's, that's the thing. That's priceless. Yeah. Having a dog with a mind like that is, is priceless. I know like there's several folks that they to a degree will have them trained just like, you know, labs, you know, they sit and stay, whatever. Yeah. And it's not hard. These dogs are really intelligent. Dumbest thing. Usually the dumbest thing on a, to do with a coon hound's a guy that's handling him. That's usually <laughs> their only limit, limiting factor. And mine's got a big limiting factor. But I've always said a dog is only as good as the guy that's handling him. But you can, you put the time in, you can, you can get them to act. You can teach them to paint a barn if you really want them to. <laughs> Especially if you got a dog that really just wants to please you. Yeah. You know, that's the inherent. I've all, I've said this forever. A dog's inherent desire is to please his, his master. You know, you're where the food comes from. You're where the shelter comes from you're where the affection comes from and you build a bond with that dog man when that i mean how else can you explain a dog is a is a predator a coon is prey how else can you explain turning a dog loose having him strike something and not say anything on it not not to bark until he gets till he strikes the scent you know, and he's running towards something. Well, it, a dog's natural instinct would be not to say anything. You know, a wolf ain't going to say nothing when he's chasing something through the woods because he don't want to spook at all. But these dogs have been trained to bark. And then when the coon goes up a tree, he's going to sit there and bark and bark until you come up there and pet him. And he ain't going to get a bite of nothing other than you patting him <laughs> on the head. And then you put your leash on him and take him over there and you turn him loose. And it goes and does it again. So that that is, you're taking advantage of his prey drive, but he's doing that for you. And there ain't no other way to look at it. I don't care what anybody says. That's what he's doing it for. Yeah. Gotta love dogs, man. Me too. I got to thinking about dogs. Got to think about my own dog, and it got me. Jordan's got him a little Boykin Spaniel. Oh, yeah. That's good. She's almost, she's dang sure smarter than I am. Oh, they're sharp dogs, man. For sure, I was. That sometimes I swear that dog understands English. Yeah, I mean, I had a dog, uh, a Labrador, Anna. I, I talked about her, I think, in one of the podcasts, or maybe one. Of, you talk about her quite often. Yeah, the, my only regret with that dog was not asking her before she died if she could talk, because I would have. <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised if she said, "Well, I was just waiting for somebody to ask." Because she can do everything else. I mean, I'd trust her to do my taxes. <laughs> and I'm sure your Balkan is the same way. You just. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, they under yeah. they understand. I mean, I just I, I'll talk to her in full sentences, and she'll just go off and do whatever I told her to do in a full sentence, like I was talking to another human. Yeah, yeah, man. They they you know I, they understand a whole lot more what's going on than than folks think. I believe. I, I, I think that we as dog owners or dog handlers, however you don't look at it when you're talking about a hunting dog, you, you can learn, you, we learn to communicate with the dogs and learn how the dogs communicate back. And I say that cause I mean, I don't hunt with either one of my dogs, but I've had my one dog Jackson. He's 11. He'd be 11 this December. And I was talking to my wife on the phone today and, uh, she's, he comes up to her and she says, I swear, every time those dogs can hear you on the phone, they come in here wanting something. I could hear his toes clicking on the hardwood floor. Yeah. I said he's I said he's out of water. And she says, No, I just filled it up the other day. I said, Go look at the water bowl. And she walked around the corner and she said, You dogs have been drinking a bunch of water. And I just <laughs> hear the water bowl filling back up. I said, He's out of water. Yeah. <laughs> he's coming to tell you, Mama, I need a drink. <laughs> and what what we were talking about a while ago about their inherent desire to please you if you got a dog <clears throat> if you've got a dog that is that has all the abilities all the bloodline all everything that that's going his way to tree a squirrel tree a coon retrieve a duck or whatever and you can't get him to do it it may be you because if, if you can't explain what you want him to do where he can understand it that ain't the dog's fault that's your right. fault and, yeah. you know, I have seen folks, I thought this, it ought to be a law. You know, you got to take a test to drive a car. You got to buy a license to get married, but just any jackass in the world can have a dog and folks, don't, some <laughs> of them don't deserve them. And I've seen folks scream and holler at a dog. No, why are you treeing this tree right here? It's slick. There ain't no coon up it. And I'm like, do you think he's under all he's hearing is the guy that feeds me is an idiot because that's all that dog is here, you know? Yeah. So they hear you like Charlie Brown. Ho, ho, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, yeah. man, you just, once you reach a point, you, if you get anger and that's how you try to get your dog to do what you want him to do by hollering at him, then it just, it just don't work. It don't, it don't go. I got a I got a friend up in he's from Idaho, but he lives in Oklahoma now and he's a duck dog trainer. And this cat right here, man, limit out retrievers is is his place. Grant Settle. He retired out of the service and he's a professional dog trainer and, and I guarantee you you could put video cameras up of him anywhere in the most frustrating dog in the world and you would never hear him raise his voice. It's all through repetition and correction and and patience, because that's you know that's when folks learn. That's when animals you had it, learn. You had it right there. He retired from the service. If you can teach privates, and he was a dog to do anything. He was yeah. a marine. He was a marine <laughs> drill instructor for a while, and then then he re, he retired out of the air force after that. So, yeah, he's he's dealt with it all. <laughs> Oh man! I tell you, I, I've told a story on the on the podcast before about, and William was there that time. It we were up at the hunting camp, and our 
camp we had in South Georgia at the time had, uh, it was our deer lease, but it had some flooded timber on it as well. And the ducks had get in that flooded timber like no tomorrow. And one morning, I can't even remember why I did. You were deer hunting. Mm-hmm. I think I hadn't seen, we'd been there for a few days, and I'd, I hadn't seen the first sight of a deer. And I said, you know what, I'm going duck hunting. So I threw my waders on, but I woke up late, and I didn't have my dog stand or anything already set up down there. So I left the dog at camp, and I went down there, and I shot, I mean, I think I took four, I may have taken three shots and killed a limited ducks. I mean, they were thick. Oh, that's good. And then shortly after that happened, I hear William, boom, shoot a deer. And I had been telling him for a while, I said, you know what? I let this dog out the house, and the first thing she does is put her nose to the ground and go run around the yard. I said, I think I want to, I want to see if she'll track a deer. So I get back. And I had, I had just, all those ducks, I had watched them get hung up in some limbs in that timber. So I knew they weren't going nowhere. So I wandered back to camp, grabbed her, put her on a leash. And we could have very easily found this deer on our own because it was a bloodbath of a, of a blood trail. Yeah. But we, I put her on it and she took us straight to that deer. We loaded that deer up. And the dog drove down, drove the the ranger down to the timber, and then threw her in the water. And I pointed out all six ducks, and she went and got all six ducks after having just retrieved that deer and didn't see any of the sights or anything. So you know what you wanted you to do, what you wanted her to do. Yeah, that's cool. That is awesome, man. I love a utilitarian dog. You know, I don't. We got one pet, a Jack Russell here, and we've had this dog for I guess she's twelve or thirteen. And she does nothing other than crop dust hair on the floor from one room to the next. And, but I wouldn't take a million dollars for, but, but our dogs did something. If they was eating at our house, they was doing something. And it was herding cattle or, you know, treeing pointing birds or treeing coons or squirrels. So I'd love to give me a good squirrel dog. I have no idea how to train one, but there's a sweet thing called YouTube. I think I might be able to figure it out. Training a squirrel dog ain't, it's not hard. It's just giving them opportunity. That's how I trained this dog of mine, this coon dog. Of course, my, my dad passed away in 2011 and, you know, he was my, he was my dog guy. He was, uh, there wasn't a question he couldn't answer about a tree dog. So I got, I've asked, I got a lot of friends. I thought I mentioned Michael Roseman and, and Rex Whiting. They helped me a lot, but the majority of what they told me was, is I just need to go out, get the dog out, and go. So, four and five nights a week, buddy, from the day I got him. I, I worked from home at the time, and my wife got up early uh, to go to to uh, go to work. So she went to bed early. My little girl, uh, let's see, we've had Waylon four years, so she'd been seven at the time. She was going to bed early. So I wasn't missing nothing at home. They they'd go to bed and I'd get the dog and I'd go just down the road to a place I had to hunt. And uh, it first started out, I was just me and the dog was just walking in the woods because he didn't know what he was doing. And I and I knew when he eventually figured it out that uh, I would tell him, you know. And the only thing I did was if he was doing something I wanted to do, I praised him for it. If he did something, 
I didn't want him to do. I just corrected it. And every night was a repetition. And it was it was training from the time I loaded him up until I put the leash on him. He was getting trained from the time I put him in, in the box, until I took him out. I do it the same way every time, every time. Always repetition. And then he, he and a coon had a head-on collision. And the coon took off running. It was like the light turned on. He's like, Lord, I have found my purpose in life. And he chased <laughs> that coon running up a tree and has never looked back. So, but it wouldn't have happened had I not taken him out there. And man, and lots of times, a lot of those trips, I take him out there and turn him loose and, and nothing happened. It took me longer to drive to where I was going than it did for what he was, what he did there. But I I used every one of them as I found something good in everything. You know, he didn't bark in the back of the truck this time. I'd correct him if he barked in the dog box. He can't do that. That's a no-no. So on the way over, if he didn't bark, well, that's good. On the way back, he didn't bark. That's a positive right there. You know, that's two things I didn't have to correct him on. And then everything else just fell into place. The patience. Patience and training a dog is the most valuable thing that you can bring to the table. And I don't know if y'all ask a question or if I just started rambling about this, but. The, oh, we started we talking yeah. about the, the training a, a squirrel dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. A squirrel dog. I mean, it's, it's the same. It's absolutely the same. And I don't know if you can hear it or not, but he's outside barking right now. I think my wife must be in the backyard. No, I cannot. <laughs> but you know, we talk about, uh, the times we've spent with our dogs and uh, and these hunting stories. And then we talked about how, you know, uh, not knowing that other people weren't really raised the way we were. And I think that's been one of the coolest things where you had brought up earlier how far outdoor media has come is that we are able to now have this platform to where we try to do a lot as much as we can here locally. And if somebody from further out reaches out to us, we'll do what we can there too. But to get anybody and everybody out in the woods, I mean, because you you can live in a subdivision, but fortunate for us, Florida has what, I don't know if it's just this side of the Mississippi or we're like number one or number two state for amount of public land. Oh, really? 14, 14 million acres. I do believe yeah. something like that. So there, there's plenty of opportunity for people to get out here in Florida. And I just love that we're, as far as outdoor media has come, we are able to have this platform to try and get, you can live in a subdivision, but still be able to get out there and, and do your thing. in the Oh so. yeah, man, that's good. We can't do this, you know, alone. You know, my dad, my grandpa, they're all, they're all gone. And that and back mm-hmm. in the day, then it was, you kept everything a secret. You know, he didn't tell anybody where he was hunting or, or anything like that. And leasing, leasing has changed a lot. And, and I, you know, I don't tell, I hunt on public land, a lot of public land. I don't tell folks where I'm at cause they need to go out and find their own spot. And if they find my yeah. spot and they're before I am, Hey, good luck to you, buddy. That's, that's the way it, it works. You know, it, it's funny. We, we host these small game hunts every year and, so that we can get new hunters out there. Cause in all reality, if you want to learn to hunt deer, the best place to start is hunting squirrels. Um, and if your only goal is to hunt deer, I still ask you come show up to one of our small game hunts, preferably show up to Seminole state or Seminole state forest hunt 
And I will, I mean, I'm hunting squirrels, especially if I've got my son with me, if he's not tied up that weekend in one thing or another. Um, but I can walk you all day long and show you deer sign, what you're looking for, where you should be sitting based on this yeah. deer sign, that deer trail. You can learn so much just from walking around hunting squirrels. But we host these small game hunts to get people out there and get them started. And then they come out there, they know for a fact, well, if you can, I mean, Seminole Forest for deer is a, is a quota draw hunt. Uh, and I haven't even drawn it yet, and I try every year. But if you can draw it, it's a great spot to get it. Yeah. So, and, But you can apply the same thing you learned there yeah. in Rock Springs Run, which is across the road from it, and it's almost the exact same woods. And that's I draw that, I've drawn that sucker every year for the last three years <laughs> for one hunt or another. We say we host these hunts too, but it's we take whenever this WMA is open for small game season – we will, you know, we create a Facebook event and then we post it to our nation page, which has, you know, we, it's mainly a bunch of people that know about the podcast on our nation page. Sure. So we'll post it there and then we'll post it to our regular page too. And we just try to get anybody and everybody that comes across it to come join us on that day that they have their seat, their WMA open. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's stuff, all free. Man. Yeah, and then uh, I mean we do all kinds of stuff. We've got that every for the last three years. We've done a crawfish boil in May. There you go. And uh, last year we had was three hundred and twenty something people. Yeah, three hundred twenty something people there. One hundred twenty five mud boats in the yeah. poker run. Gave uh, the winner took home uh, dang near two thousand dollars. Well, the the poker run yeah. we gave away a dang turbo kit for a mud. I mean. Turbo kits for mud motors, oh, air good. guns, duck hunts, gator hunts, and all in all went through 1,800 pounds of crawfish and raised $33,000 for charity. That's amazing, man. That's good stuff. So That's really good. And and we always say, you know, we don't we don't charge anything for any of our events. That one we charge money for. We don't keep any money from it, mm-hmm. but we charge it so that we can raise money. And then, you know, the Swanee River trip, we have to charge money for because we have to cover costs sure. of renting a cabin sure. one night oh, and yeah. you know outfitters and stuff like that. But we don't make we make money on hats. <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole box of hats back here that are supposed to be making money, but they're not. They're sitting in a box. But it's uh. <laughs> It's fun. We do it because we love it, what That's it comes good, down man. to. But we have guys, you know, you talk about we don't give away the secret spots. We have guys that, and, and we don't. I mean, you, you get the places we go to small game hunt, they're the, just, they are what they are. I don't have any secret spots in any of those places that I go and hunt the good spots. Like I said, I've never even drawn Seminole Forest for a deer hunt. I know where I'm going to go uh, if I ever draw it, but I, uh, know nothing more than the, the time I spent on the ground there squirrel hunting. But we have guys that show up, that come out and show up and help us pick up garbage in the National Forest. And they show up to all the small game hunts. Help us and build 50, 60-something wood duck boxes. We, you would put out yeah. 54 wood duck boxes uh, earlier this year. Oh, that's good. And um, helped us do all that stuff. Those guys, and then just like this weekend, we're fixing to leave here tomorrow night. Some of those guys are getting introduced to the secret spot because they keep showing up and they make friends. Now they're in, they made it into the inner circle. So here we go, you know? Yep. <laughs> and that's how it happens. You make good friends that way. Yep. Oh, shoot. Yeah. You know, yeah. how Rex and I've told this story before, but how we became friends and he's saw the dog box in the back of my truck was driving by my house and he's nosy. 
I've come to find that out. He's nosy and I love him like a brother. But the first day I ever seen him, he drove up my driveway. I was cleaning out that dog box. He said, I've been driving by this house and seeing this dog, just seen this dog box in the back of your truck recently. So I didn't let me know he'd been watching my house. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, I want to know what kind of dog goes in there. He said, cause there ain't but two kind of folks that have dogs around here and they either tree dogs or retrievers. He said, are you a duck hunter? And I said, well, I used to be. And he said, well, what kind of dog you got? And I said, a tree and walker. And from that conversation on, we've just gotten to be just good friends. I mean, that, that's how you meet folks. I told, uh, uh, matter of fact, I talked about that on an episode, uh, the power of hello, which what you were just talking about. Yeah. I, yeah. I got a good friend that I fly fished that I met fly fishing one time. And we're as tight as two folks can be. And it was all because he waited on me. I was wanting him to go on because I watched him just absolutely thrash the trout that day. And I didn't even get a bite. So the last person I want to talk to was this guy I had watched 40 yards up the river from me, just smashing fish and turning around looking at me and smiling while I was starving to death down there on the other end. <laughs> and he waited for me on the bank. And I thought, oh, I guess I got to talk to this guy. And man, it's the best thing I ever did. Now we're just as tight as it can be. Yeah, that's that's funny. I because I, <laughs> I I don't know if I've ever told the story about how I met Jay Stone, who's become a pretty good buddy of mine. Um, we first started the podcast. I was standing in line at the gas station in the morning. I was gonna get my cup of coffee and a can of chewing tobacco, and I'm waiting. And from the back of the behind me, I hear uh, he says, uh, "You were in the army." And I turned around. I had a sticker on the back of my truck at that time. And I turn around and I look, and here's a mailman standing about three people behind me in line. And I said, I was? Why? And he says, oh, I did. Well, I, I've been, I, he said, I follow you. He said, well, let me start up this way. I'm your neighbor. I was like, oh, he said, I follow you up here at this gas station about every morning for the same reason you're here. <laughs> I said, okay. And then. Uh, we became pretty good friends and he's been spent a lot of time in the outdoor industry and we've done some cool stuff together and gone on a di couple different hunts together and stuff like that. And that That's just good. randomly had no idea who he was. I, I told my wife, uh, because she didn't know at that time, he, his mail route is out in front of my house. I've since moved from where I was his neighbor, but his mail route goes by my house. I come walking up one day and he saw me walking down the side of the road, he pulled in, parked in the driveway and my wife works, has a small business shop rates out of our house. So she's constantly packages in, out, in, out, in, out. So all she sees through her office window is me standing in the driveway for 15 minutes talking to the mailman. <laughs> she thinks she's in trouble. <laughs> I come inside and she said, what were you talking to the mailman about? I said, what do you mean mailman? She's like, you were standing out there talking to the mailman. I saw the mail truck parked in the driveway. What were you guys talking about? Is something wrong? I was like, Mailman, mailman. Oh no, I was talking to Jay. That's not. He's not our mailman. He just his he mail route goes because that's good. Yeah. Um. But I was like, no, we're talking about hunting. Yeah. <laughs> this is turkey season. He's a big turkey hunter. Oh yeah. Uh. But I told my wife. I said uh, I was accosted by the mailman at racetrack today. <laughs> <laughs> and we became pretty good friends after that. Yeah, he was a ranger, wasn't he? Or... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh. I tell you what, I, I I don't know if it came from my mama or what, because my mama has what she calls the sign, 
which is where you could be anywhere in public and random strangers will walk up to her and tell them her life, their life story. But I, I've just about got the same dang way, especially in the woods. I could walk up to a random stranger and 30 minutes later, I know the man's whole life story and we done, you know, exchange numbers and, but I've had some also very strange run-ins with people in the woods too. Like I, I had a guy on a mini bike one day. I was running a fire break in my truck to go grab a camera to move it. And uh, he pulled up behind me on a mini bike and convinced to telling me about how his neighborhood was overrun with meth and that he was going to be a vigilante and that uh, he was a felon because he ran from the cops <laughs> and how he got his first tattoo in Daytona. <laughs> and then at the end of it, he asked me uh, if I believed in Jesus. I said, yes, sir. Yeah, I do. He said, well, that's good. And uh, he said, and i tell you what, when he calls, I'm answering. <laughs> and then drove off on his mini bike. I'd like to see the phone he's talking to him on. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> yeah. But that that was probably an hour long conversation. There was much more to it oh, than that. Sure, but sure. the whole time, because you know, I knew I was where my camera was. There, there is a real rough neighborhood there, and my uh, my sidearm just so happened to be in its holster in my truck and not on my person at the time, because I didn't plan to get out of the truck, but I had hit a stump with one of my tires. I was running at pretty good speed. And I got out to check to see if I had popped my tire or put a hole in it. And about the time I got out, he pulled up on me. And the whole time, I'm like trying to keep an eye on him in my open driver door where my sidearm is. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get people out there just messing around. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the seat on his mini bike was a, uh, a stuffed Barney. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it was rough, man. Yeah, that's something there for sure. That's the people you run into in the National Forest. Yeah. And we got the rainbow people. That's a whole different ball game. Yeah. That's the hippies that escape the north and come down here and they live in their bus in the forest. Yep. It's it's a I don't know if you're aware, but it's a legitimate group of people and they refer to themselves as the the Rainbow Clan or the Rainbow People. Rainbow Nation. Rainbow Nation. Um, oh but yeah, they come down here they, about every they, winter. Yeah, they they yeah they used to have some of those gatherings up in uh, in the uh, in the mountains here. Yeah. For the most part, they're pretty peaceful. Mm -hmm. But the the problem is you get it's it's the whole uh, the bad apple ruins the bunch theory. Oh yeah, yeah, that's with anybody. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, uh, you got any closing thoughts, Jordan, Brent? Man, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. First. Oh, I just appreciate y'all inviting me on here. I've been listening, like I said, I told you when we started. I went back and started listening to some of y'all stuff. It's good. I really like it, and uh, I just appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity to be on here and visit. I appreciate you joining us. I've, I've had a really good time. We had some good conversation, and uh, I look forward to getting this one edited up and and published. Hopefully, uh, might be this coming Monday, but probably the Monday after that. Sure, man. Yeah, we'll be hunting this weekend, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I was excited you came on uh, before I left the house. Uh, I commenced to tell my fiance again uh, about who we're having on, and she was like, "I know who you're having on. You don't have to tell me." Again, <laughs> she was like, "You've already told me like 
25 times. Oh, man. Like, all right. Sorry. That is, you know, <laughs> that is so weird to me. Uh, when we, I was at this uh, event, I was a judge at the world champion uh, squirrel cook-off up in Bentonville. I wanted to come up to that. Let me tell you, man, you guys would absolutely love it. It is the biggest family gathering of folks that don't know one another, but do know one another when they get there by the time they leave that I've ever been at. And it was my, <laughs> I mean, I, I know that my show goes out to a lot of places, but I don't think my wife and my little girl did. And when we got there, my daughter was like, daddy, these folks know my name. They're telling me stuff that me and you've talked about <laughs> that I've said <laughs> before. And it, it was just kind of a, it was kind of a, uh, a shock to her a little bit, but yeah, well, I'm I'm very blessed, very blessed to be there. But you guys should you guys should come up to that next year. It is an absolute wonderful time. We're gonna have to yeah, plan a trip. Got, we have to put a team together. Is what we I was gonna do. say. Yeah, we got our one of our other co-hosts. I, and I hate that. I hate that. Jen, so normally we have two other guys in here. Uh, Jim, who is on a ship somewhere off the coast of Alaska on vacation, and uh, Briar, uh, but Briar probably worked to about didn't get home to about 7 30 when we started he's okay. been tied up pretty late at work these last few nights so jim is a uh uh connoisseur of cooking i mean can turn just about anything into something edible well let me tell so you man I, I, it's that's uh that's the place that's you need to get him squared away i think it's i think it's three man teams maybe four i can't remember they got a Facebook page. <clears throat> Joe puts that thing together every year, him and a whole bunch of folks. And it is just outstanding. How uh, There was 35 teams. There was a team there from Alaska cooking squirrels, and they didn't even got squirrels in Alaska. I, was, I didn't even know there was squirrels in Alaska. <laughs> no. and, uh, but they, it's just a big family event, man. The food was great. There's a all kind of activities for kids to do the game and fish puts on uh shooting clinics and it's just it's just good it's just absolutely i say it, it if jordan could repeat the recipe of the squirrel he made last year we did a hunt uh did a muzzleloader hunt last year and we're i'm i'm a fan of when we hunt public land we park in the morning and we don't leave unless we're hunting somewhere else yeah so we come back to the truck We'll cook lunch there, whatever, breakfast in the morning. Bring the old Blackstone or and, uh, stove-eye. He, you had it, it was your, your cast iron skillet in the stove-eye. And you had marinated the squirrel in something. Yeah, I had brined a squirrel for like the a week before, but it was in like, I don't even remember what I put in it. I know that I had brined it and uh, I had heated up a bullion cube and some water. And then uh, put a, I don't know, like three or four beers in a bowl, and then poured the bouillon cube in there, and then put, Lord knows how many other different spices in there, and just let that squirrel sit in it in the fridge for a week. And then we commenced to frying it up in about two tablespoons of bacon grease. That's right. In that, my lingo. In that pan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got to tell them about our half moon sandwiches. Oh, now that's something you got to try. That's that's a that's a uh, staple. Uh, under pressure. Yeah, we're gathering the ingredients now. You take a taking fry you up a pound of bacon. Okay. Then you take a honey bun 
Okay. And you fry your honey bun in the bacon grease. Okay. Egg, cheese, bacon, bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich on two fried honey buns. Son, I can hear my left ventricle slamming shut. <laughs> yes, you, yes, you can. <laughs> you can't eat a whole one, especially if you use the big honey buns. You got to eat a half. <laughs> but they are so good. Quitters. Yeah. So good. Quitters eat halves. <laughs> yeah. Going all yeah. The way. Like I've said several times, if you put it on the top of your head, your tongue would beat your brains out trying to get to it. <laughs> I mean, it That's good. It's good. That sounds good. Well, Brent, I appreciate you joining us and sharing all your stories with us. And uh, good luck in your future endeavors. And I uh, look forward to hearing you on the Bear Grease and, uh, the This Country Life podcast. Oh man, I appreciate y'all. I thank you very much. Thank you for yes, thank sir, you yeah. for inviting me. Yes, I appreciate sir. you coming. Hey, we need to uh, once we get a date set, we need to see if we can get you out to our uh, crawfish bowl this next year. Oh yeah, when is that? It's in the summertime. That'll be somewhere around May eighteenth, about middle of May, middle of late May. That's probably about, towards the end of crawfish season. That'd be about the time I'd probably be able to do it. It's, um, uh, our, our stuff's planned out a year in advance and that's towards the tail end of Turkey season. So we would probably be able to, I might, I might, we pick up and to. we pick up and drive our butts all the way up to Louisiana, pick up fresh live crawfish the night before the event and drive them back down here. Fresh, never frozen, still kicking when they hit the pot. No, oh, that's the way to have them, boy. I'm telling you, I, that's the only way I never get them. full eating crawfish. I just get tired. i definitely understand that but uh all right brent i appreciate you joining us we'll catch you next time okay thank you boys we'll catch you guys next week talking to you